But I wanted to talk to you today about sanctified troublemakers. Did you know that there are troublemakers who are sanctified and, and motivated by the Holy Spirit to cause trouble? You know, to cause trouble for who, Pastor? Isn't that wrong to do that? No, they're causing trouble uh, for the enemy. They're, they're getting into his strategies to disrupt them, to put cogs in the machinery of his plans to bring about death uh, and destruction. And so we want to be sanctified troublemakers who get in the way of the enemy taking people to hell with him, <clears throat> of deceiving them and leading them astray by his lies and his deceptions, the web that he weaves that he wants people to fall into, into his snares. And I think that has been prevalent throughout human history since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. There's been troublemakers. There have been people who are anti God, Antichrist. There are Antichrists, as Paul, John said in his epistle, there are today many Antichrists in the world. And if there was then, a couple thousand years ago, there certainly are today many Antichrists. And we need to be in a position to not only engage, confront, and stand up for what is right boldly and with courage, the courage of the Holy Spirit, but we need to realize that we're standing up with the full authority of the kingdom of God in the name of Christ. So we have power. We have authority. All the enemy has is power. Authority trumps power. Somebody say amen. <clears throat> but sanctified troublemakers, we find uh, the church in the uh, first century of the church, in the apostolic church, that they were accused of being troublemakers because they were going against the grain and the status quo of that system in that day. And I want you to turn to, um, in Acts chapter 17, if you are following along, I have the key verses on the overhead in just a moment, but I want to just paint a picture of the background here, <clears throat> is that Paul and Silas, on our missionary journey, it says that they traveled through the towns of Amphipolis and Apollonia and came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. There was a place where people worshiped the living God, the one true God. And they were Jewish people. They didn't know about Christ yet, but they were soon to learn about it. And it was Paul's custom, the scripture says, that he would go to the synagogue service. And, and he was there, it says, for three Sabbaths, three weeks in a row. Sabbath is on a Saturday, by the way. And he used the scriptures. He used the scriptures. He used the scriptures. God helped the church of Jesus Christ today to know enough about the Word of God to be able to use the Scriptures effectively, effectively to reason with the people because we live in a culture today that is scripturally uh, ignorant. They don't know the Scriptures and we need to use the Scriptures. Why the Scriptures? Because it is the Word of the living God. It teaches us and shows us the ways of God. It shows us the plans of God and the purposes of God. And people need to hear the scriptures, even if they don't believe in them, and they don't believe in God, because the scriptures have anointing. God's word is anointed. And whenever you speak the word of God, anointing goes into the atmosphere, truth goes out into the atmosphere, and it hits its mark. God promised that his word would not return unto him void, but it would accomplish his purposes that he sent it out to do. And when he sends it out his word out, he sends it out through his people. Somebody say amen. amen. That's good news. God uses us, and that's a miracle that he can use us. Somebody say amen. We explained, he says, uh, the scripture says, the prophecies and proved that 
the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead. And this Jesus, Paul says to them, that I'm telling you about, is the Messiah. He was preaching them Christ and him crucified. So some of the Jews listened. Everybody has a response to the gospel and to the word of God, either negative or positive or kind of maybe, maybe not. You know, they're pondering it and thinking about it, which can I tell you that thinking is a good thing? You know, we don't, uh, we don't set our brain and our intellect aside because we're spiritual. But I think God uses our brain, and we need to not only convert the heart, but convert the mind so that the heart can be converted. So Paul is reasoning with them. He was proving to them that Jesus is the Christ. And some of the Jews who listened were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas along with many God-fearing Greek men and quite a few prominent women. Notice he points out women. Can I tell you that God can use women? Can I tell you that he can use them to help, to equip uh, the work of God, but he can also use them to proclaim the work and the gospel of Christ? Somebody say amen. Amen. God uses men and women. He's an equal opportunity Savior and Lord. Uh, But it says there, but, you know, there's a but there. And some of the Jews were jealous. Jealousy is a terrible thing. Uh, It is the, the work of the flesh. It is not the work of the Spirit. But the Jews were jealous, as so they gathered, look at this, some troublemakers. Here's that, unsanctified troublemakers. They gathered some troublemakers from the marketplace to form a mob and start a riot. They attacked the home of Jason, one of the believers who was hosting meetings and facilitating them. And they were searching, looking for Paul and Silas so they could drag them out to the crowd. And not finding them there, they dragged out Jason and some of the other believers instead and took them before the council. And they made absolute crazy charges against it. Have you ever noticed when people really are uh, really worked up and, and uh, foaming at the mouth almost with hatred towards God, towards believers, and towards the work of God, that it's really more than just flesh, but there's some demonic activity there as well. I'm just telling you it's the truth. And, and it says here <clears throat> that their accusations before the city council were this. And it's on the screen up ahead. This is New Living Translation. It says, Paul and Silas have caused trouble all over the world. They shouted. And now they are here disturbing our city too. Now, the New King James says this, that these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. They were outraged about the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ask yourself, Why does it bother them so much that Christ is preached? Why does it bother them so much that many from that Jewish community and those who had converted to Judaism, who were Gentiles, were believing in Jesus Christ as the Messiah? Why does it bother them so much? I can tell you. It's kind of a rhetorical question because it really bothers the devil and his strategies. It disrupts what his plans are, is to keep people fat and happy believing in religion but not really believing in the one true God. And his plan for salvation. So these men were troublemakers. There was troublemakers who caused the riot. They were unsanctified. But there were also sanctified troublemakers. Now, um, Skylar Glue wrote an article in just the first part of his says this. It's been said that Jesus was a renegade outlaw. A sanctified troublemaker who rebelled against his culture. He lived by a different set of rules, denounced the moral and spiritual authorities of his day, and started a revolution. Even though his revolution took place over 2,000 years ago, it is still being carried out today. 
Wars have been fought, nations have been built, and generations have been changed by what Jesus did during his first three decades on earth. Think about it. The world was never the same again. Once Jesus Christ came on the scene and did the work of God, things have never changed. Now, the apostles of the early church were considered by the powers that be to be troublemakers. Notice the accusation. In other words, they didn't conform to the political and religious status quo. They were different and marched to the beat of a different drum. They, as we should be, were rabble-rousers in the sense that they took on the world the devil and the lies of their day, and they proclaimed a radical truth that there was only one true God who had sent his one and only son to die for the sins of the world, and the world that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. They would have the forgiveness of sins as a gift and would inherit eternal life in heaven with the God that they believe in. So this flew in the face of the beliefs of his day and, and does today as well. And then as now, those who proclaim the gospel will be considered to be troublemakers. But we, when we are sanctified troublemakers, who are doing the work of God in preaching Christ and him crucified to a world gone mad is when the power of the Holy Spirit is unleashed to do miracles and signs and wonders and I believe to bring about an incredible revival and move of God that will challenge the people of this world and the people of our culture to look with new eyes at the Son of God and the work of God in their life. You know, things are falling apart. Somebody says, things are falling apart. Well, things are falling apart. It's God's way of messing things up so that he can lead people to find sanity once again. Sanctified troublemakers. Are you a rebel rouser? Are you a troublemaker for God? Do you fly in the face of the uh, political uh, status quo that's what's expected of you to believe and march to the beat of that drum? Are you a uh, rabble rouser who comes against the ways of this world who deny Christ and deny that there is even a God. Some of the synonyms of that troublemaker is an agitator, a firebrand, an inciter, an instigator, a meddler, a rabble rouser, and an inflamer. And uh, those are usually bad, but when God sanctifies them, they're actually good because they bring about change. They bring about the power of God being unleashed. And the mission and the passion of the church from the time Jesus was crucified and resurrected was to make disciples of all nations. In the Great Commission, we're commanded to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing, teaching them all things that Jesus taught them, and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the call of the church of Jesus Christ. In order to do that, we need to be anointed, and the words need to be anointed by the power of the Holy Spirit to bring about conviction and awareness of sin. In the person's life, we can't do it without the power of the Holy Spirit. The mission and passion of the church was to do that. And they were filled with the zeal of God to preach the gospel to the entire world. Nothing was impossible to this first century church of believers and apostles and evangelists and pastors. They were filled with the zeal of God. They were not ashamed of the gospel. As Paul said to the Romans in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, which means good news, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Everyone who believes. First to the Jew and then to the Gentile. Now, can I tell you that 
from the, the, the time of, uh, of, of the scattering of people and the changing of languages that there has been animosity from one group to the other. That ethnicities battle and fight one another for significance and to be on the top. <clears throat> there were many, many years in this nation uh, the sin of racism, the sin of slavery, the sin of enslaving someone because of the color of their skin and denying them education so they couldn't figure out what was wrong with that. But can I tell you that when Christianity comes, when real Christianity comes and an awareness <clears throat> and a revelation by the word of the living God comes into our heart by the Holy Spirit, that that is when the true knowledge of God, the truth of God brings about deliverance and freedom. And we stand against all those things. But right now there's hatred among the races. But God said through his servant, Paul, that God brings salvation to everyone who believes. Doesn't matter what ethnicity you are, doesn't matter what color your skin is, doesn't matter what country you're from or origin of your country is, it doesn't matter what your past is, it doesn't matter how bad you've been, it doesn't matter how evil you've been, is you can find forgiveness when you repent of your sins and turn to Jesus Christ and ask him to come into your life and he will transform you from the inside out. People will not recognize you anymore. They'll say, who is that? What happened to you? Somebody say Amen. I was just listening to a testimony of a man of God, and he's the author of the book that we're studying in our small groups, Why I Believe, Chip Ingram. And he said that when he went to, <clears throat> uh, got saved in high school, went to college and to this university, and he said he uh, excelled there. God blessed him with a great, great, sharp mind. And <clears throat> he said there was one professor, Professor B, or P as he calls him, wouldn't give his name, but he said he was white-haired, and he said he always seemed to like him and respect him, and uh, he said, I, I him as well. But he said before he graduated, the professor came to him, and he said, Chip, I want to talk to you. you. You are a very intelligent person. You're very sharp. You have excelled at the university and your studies, and he said, I just want to ask you a question. How can somebody who is intelligent like you believe in a God that doesn't exist? Something like that. And he basically, you know, I don't remember his exact words back, but it was, how can you not believe in the God who does exist? You know, it was kind of the gist of it. But he said that there are people like that who think that if you're well, if you're intelligent, well-educated, that how can you believe in that God? That is our culture today. But I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He saves the ignorant and the wise, the intelligent and the moron. I don't mean that in a bad way. There's some people with learning disabilities, and they can understand the gospel too and find salvation and purpose for life and eternal life in Christ's kingdom forever in heaven. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And so many times when persecution comes or you think you're going to be ostracized, so many believers today, they kind of back off so that they won't stand out. And I think it's a day an age and a season of time when, like never before, that we need to stand up and stand out and stand strong and stand brave and courageous in the face of a culture that no longer believes in the God of heaven. These people in this generation were unafraid of the consequences of preaching the gospel. They were willing to suffer for Christ's sake and counted it an honor when they did. They had a passionate desire to see people come to Christ because they had a biblical understanding of heaven and hell. 
They knew that we either we're going to live an eternal life either in one place or the other, and they knew that other place is something that no person in their right mind would want to go to. And we need to have an understanding of heaven and hell. One of the reasons that I believe we should bring Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames uh, drama here was to show this generation and even people in our church the realities of hell. And it did an adequate job, but it's never adequate enough because we don't fully understand the terrible suffering that people will endure for eternity in hell. If we did, we'd get a revelation from God that we need to rescue people from the very flames of hell. There was a challenge both then and now. We are the minority. They were the minority. In the culture today, we are the minority. And really the true church of Jesus Christ, the true remnant of God in all generations has always been the minority. We've always been the remnant. Uh, although uh, our nation and other Western cultures have, during times of revival and uh, um, uh, came to an understanding of Judeo-Christian ethics and it found its way into the culture of respecting those and respecting uh, the laws of God and even integrated into the laws of nations and governments, standards. But a true faith in Christ, that's what the church will do when we are influential is it will, it will transfer to where people who still aren't believers respect the values that are projected and promoted from the Word of God and realize that that really makes sense. We, like them, have an urgent call of the Great Commission. The Great Commission doesn't have an expiration date until Christ returns. Somebody say amen. More people are dying without Christ, somebody said, than are being born. And I think that's true. More people are dying without Christ than people are being born. So in today's message, I want to ask the question, what did they have that we still need? Because we look back sometimes with uh, kind of rose-colored glasses looking back at the early church thinking they were perfect. Well, they weren't perfect. They were imperfect people who were born again, filled with the Spirit, and were being perfected by the Holy Spirit and by the Word of God every day that they lived. In other words, they were in transition from death to life, from faith to faith, being delivered daily following Christ daily. And as they followed him with more passion, they were delivered even more from their old life and the flesh. So the next few moments, I want to talk to you today that they needed the Holy Spirit baptism. Jesus basically said, like that old commercial, don't leave home without him. Don't leave home without the Holy Spirit. That when he was resurrected and he revealed himself to the believers, to the apostles and the other believers, he told them, don't go out on a mission until you've been endued with power from on high, the promise of the Father will come. You wait and you tarry. You wait until you receive the power of the Holy Spirit, so he will make you my witnesses. He'll give you the power to be my witness. We find in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, that when the day of Pentecost had fully come, that those who had heard Christ's admonition to wait for the promise of the Father, that they were all with one accord in one place. They were in unity. Probably the only time in history when the church of Jesus Christ was in total unity. We need to get together. Somebody said, amen. And it says that when they are in that place of unity in one accord, in that one place in the upper room, that suddenly there came a sound from heaven. God, give us a sound from heaven. God, give the church a wake-up call. 
of our desperate need for the power of the Holy Spirit, it says that suddenly there came a sound from heaven. Have you ever noticed that when you're praying and you're interceding and you might be in the spirit of intercession sometimes and really pressing into God and and maybe just worshiping and praying and, and all of a sudden the Spirit of God just manifests and does a new thing. Gives you a fresh revelation, a fresh passion, a fresh direction of what you're supposed to do when you don't know what to do. You know, when I get confused, say, God, what do you want for my life? What do you want, Lord, for the next season of my life? That I pray and I intercede and I worship and the Lord reveals things to me. He's never failed to do that when I've been seeking. Did you know that he loves to answer prayer? When you need wisdom, James said, just ask God. He'll give it freely and he won't withhold it from you. Somebody say amen. These are good things to know. The truth will make you free. But suddenly when that sound came from heaven and it was as a rushing mighty wind, it says that it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Not part of it, not, you know, part over here and part over there. People didn't have to go over like they were going over to the fireplace to get warmth. The Spirit of God permeated that place and saturated that place. Did you know that the manifest, outpoured presence of the Holy Spirit, you know, we are the temples of the Holy Spirit, but He can also fill a place where the people of God are. He can fill the church. Now, this building one day is going to burn. It's brick and mortar. And I believe we built it with such quality that it will last until Jesus comes. And the world will have it. They'll probably use it without us once we're raptured out of here. But one day it's going to burn. It's not going to be here. Our hope is not in buildings. That is not the church of Jesus Christ. It is every single person of, across the entire world of every background and ethnicity who have turned to Christ for salvation. We are the church of Jesus Christ. And in the midst of some services, you can have believers and unbelievers. And sometimes you can't tell the difference. Sometimes they don't know the difference. But God does. God knows those who are His. And when the Holy Spirit came, as He comes here... Sometimes he comes here in such a way that it is just like he is everywhere. There have been some services over the 20 years I've been here where you walked away and you felt like, boy, did we ever meet with God? Did he ever meet with us today? This was incredible. And people who were there talk about it for weeks and months because it's so significant and so powerful. In this case, in the upper room, the Holy Spirit came rushing in like a mighty wind, the sound of a rushing mighty wind, and he filled the whole house where they were sitting. What were they doing when he came? They were praying. You know, you want to move of God your life? Then pray. Ask God. Pray to him. Pour your heart out to him. Believe in him. You know, the Bible says that you have to have faith to come to him because you have to first believe that he is who he says he is. Where's your faith? And the move of the Spirit came because they were sitting there praying and, 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 and when he appeared to, the, there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire and one sat upon each one of them, each one of them, each one of them. Say that, each one of them. Everybody. And they were all, say all, all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they did what? All began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Can I tell you something, some really good news? 
Maybe you've heard it the other way. But the prayer language that comes with the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for today. It is for your children who believe. It is for your children's children. It is for those who are far off. It is for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is available for you so that you can be a greater witness for Christ and be more authoritative and powerful in your ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, when the Holy Spirit manifests, and I have been in some services that were so thick and heavy with the presence of God, that it was like a pea super, they call in London, when you can't see your hand in front of your face. Fog so thick you can cut it with a knife, and when the presence of God comes like that, can I tell you something? Anything is possible. Anything is possible. God, give us a hunger for the presence, the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit. Uh, that day, Peter, <laughs> uh, Peter, who was kind of a paper tiger, he's big on talk and short on action, always putting his foot in his mouth. But you know, with all of Peter's faults and his quirks, there was one thing that Peter had that really was his saving grace, and that was his love for Jesus. You know, we can screw up like Peter. I, I never make fun of Peter because I, I screwed up so many times. I, you know, I mess up. And God is, all, is as gracious to me as he is with Peter. You know, he, he loves me and he cares for me. And when you mess up, he loves you and he cares for you. He just wants you to realize your mistake and, and ask God to forgive you. That's all he wants. Peter went out and wept bitterly after he denied Christ on the night of his arrest. Went out and wept bitterly broke his heart that he did that. He didn't see that in him, that potential. But that very day on the day of Pentecost, there was a different Peter. When did it happen? It happened after he was baptized in the Holy Spirit and he spoke in tongues. And it says that that group, you know, you read the rest of the story, went down uh, the uh, uh, stairs from the upper room, made their way to the temple courts, and they were all speaking in tongues, prophesying and telling everybody in their own language about the wonderful works of God. And people begin to ask questions. Why are they all talking in our own languages, speaking about the wonderful works of God? They didn't understand it, but they felt in their spirit that something supernatural had taken place. But you know, this world, when the Spirit of God moves, and even when you're in the Spirit, in the presence of people, they cannot deny that something is unique and different. They may not understand it. Maybe they'll begin to ask questions. Bible tells us that we are to be ready to give an answer to those who seek the hope that is within us, like they did on the day of Pentecost when Peter did this. Now Peter gets up and on that day, and he preaches an incredibly uh, uh, theologically correct, intellectual uh, discourse on the Word of God, beginning bringing Old Testament scriptures out, and he preaches Christ and Him crucified, and he boldly confronts that crowd that is there that day with the gospel of Jesus Christ, with his death, burial, and resurrection. And 3,000 souls get saved. Peter. You know, sometimes people, when revivals take place, or even the work of God is going on, and some people criticize who God is using. It's like, why is God using him? Well, I wouldn't call him. He wouldn't be my pastor. 
I'm not going to that revival meeting because God's using that person that I, you know. And, and they have all kinds of reasons, but can I tell you something? God will use who he will use. And God chooses sometimes the foolish things to confound, confound those who are wise in their own mind. He chooses the weak things to confound the strong. I've never... The longer I serve God, never amazed or surprised that God can use somebody that maybe other people would throw away. You know, the devil is good at throwing away people. And you know what God delights in? He delights in picking them up and saying, hey, I'm going to use you. (laughs) Amen? That God can use anybody. Critics come and they go. You know who God doesn't use? He doesn't use a critic. Somebody with a critical spirit, God will not use you. You're already being used. You're being used by the devil. I'm just telling you the truth. Some don't like that. I'm not trying to hurt people, but I'm just telling you the truth. You need to get rid of your critical spirit. Amen. Uh, I remember a story that I was uh, going over and uh, kind of reprising a story of Smith Wigglesworth. And... uh, he was somebody who loved God. He wanted to be used of God. His wife, Polly, was used of God. She was an incredible preacher. Did I say God can use women? Oh, absolutely. Uh, and and uh, he could lead people to the Lord, and he could talk to them, and, you know, he did his best. But he just couldn't preach. He just couldn't preach. People were so bored out of their mind. And his wife, you know, Smith, she called him, Smith, you can't preach. Leave it to me, you know, kind of. And, but Smith sent her a note and said, hey, I'm going to this meeting over this part of England. I can't remember where it was. And he said, and I am going to investigate and find out about the baptism in the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. And when she read that, she thought, oh, he thinks he's going to get it. And she replied back to him that I already have the Holy Spirit, Smith. And yet he went. And true to his biography, as he went, he got baptized in the Holy Spirit as he got hands laid upon him and he spoke in tongues. And when he came back, he told his wife, and she was like, I already have the Holy Spirit. Never spoke in tongues, but I have the Holy Spirit. And he says, well, I'm preaching. Now, I'm kind of paraphrasing the story, okay, for brevity. Somebody says, you don't know how to be brief, Pastor. Well, I'll do my best. But he went out and he preached that night. She said, well, we'll just see about this. And he went out and preached like Peter on the day of Pentecost. She had never seen him ever in her life or believed that he would ever be able to do that. And during his message, she thought to herself, that is not, she said this, that is not my Smith. I don't know who this guy is. My Smith can't preach. That's not my Smith. And she realized that he had something that she needed. And she got prayed for and she got the baptism of the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. I'm just telling you that God uses people that some people say can't be used. They have no talents, no abilities, nothing remarkable about their life, and yet God uses them. I've always marveled about how God uses me, who could use me. It's like I'm... You must be made a mistake. 
And I'm not false humility. I, I really feel this way. I wonder, God, how can you use me? Somebody who has no mechanical skills, no carpentry skills. You know, when I fix things and I have a kit to fix things on a car, I have leftover parts. <laughs> I wonder where that was supposed to go. This is a true story. I did a brake job when I was in high school on my car, and, and I had leftover things. <laughs> and I had a friend, a real good friend, who was a good mechanic. He ended up being the head of Kmart in Kansas City, Kmart's auto division there when Kmart was a big company. His name was John, and John said, come on, Tim, I'll help you. I think, thank God I need help, you know. You got leftover part, a little springy thing, and, you know, other things like that. That might be important when I need to stop, okay? But come here, and God lets me be a part of a great project like building and relocating. Who does that? God does it. How can you be the, be the head of that church? I don't know. You got a complaint, talk to him. I'm just doing what I'm told. And God can use anybody. Listen to me. I'm not sure <laughs> those who knew Peter may have said like they did about uh, Smith Wigglesworth. They said the same about him, that he's not, he's not, he can't preach. He can't say two words without putting his foot in his mouth. He always raises his hand, has the Jesus ask question. Oh, I got the answer. You know, the only time he is right is when the Holy Spirit gave him revelation. You know, can I tell you today that the church needs to be and should be doctrinally sound, which it is not in many quarters, but even a church that is doctrinally sound and preaches a good theological and teaches theology that is true and sound, you still need the Holy Spirit. It is the Word and the Spirit that will make the difference. The Word and the Spirit. A lot of people have the Word and they almost worship the Word, worship the Bible as an idol, but they don't have the spirit. And you know what? People who have a lot of head knowledge about Scripture, they become legalist and critical of other people because they're never going to measure up to somebody who's a Pharisee or a legalist. You get the Holy Spirit, you begin to see people from the eyes of God and realize that they are made in the image of God and redeemed by the blood of Christ and filled with the Holy Spirit just like you, identified in the Lamb's book of life, and they are precious. And you realize God can use anybody. We were just this morning sitting around talking, a few guys and I, and we were talking about, um, about abilities and things, and I said, you know what stands out with me? I was commenting to Mara, Mara, um, uh, Marlo about the rock wall and I said every time I look at that and I was sitting directly across from it I said I remember you and I remember those who helped you some children putting that wall up brick by brick little brick you know and it seemed like it would never get done because a very meticulous picky little job yeah it's so beautiful and I said God used you and your gifts and I said, but you know who I think about the most who inspires me even to this day he is our friend Wayne Eland, who had Parkinson's, came with MS, had other issues that he dealt with, that he fought with. He was weak, and yet he never, to my knowledge, missed a day of construction. He was down here morning and night until he was just exhausted. He brought along a plastic chair, lawn chair. 
And he says, Pastor, I brought this. And he shook like this. I brought this so that whenever I get tired, I can sit for a little bit. Is that okay? And I said, absolutely. And if you get tired, you go home and rest. You don't have to be here. And he said, oh, I want to be here, Pastor. And he would work and pick up debris and sweep and clean up dust, construction dust, until he couldn't stand anymore. And he'd go sit down and rest and just get a second wind to get up and go back and clean some more, go back over in a circle because everything got dirty again. Faithful. And you know what I think? I think it's going to amaze us someday when we go to heaven and we see who God exalts and the rewards that are given to people who really had very little abilities, but they gave God everything they had. We become critical and think, how could God use that person? And yet when the Holy Spirit is involved, God uses people that confound other people. And he sits in heaven and laughs. But they had the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. Wayne had the Holy Spirit. I remember when he got saved here, not long after I came here. The church may also have incredible resources, financial blessings and resources, but they still need the Holy Spirit. I know some churches that are very wealthy, and yet they don't have the Holy Spirit. They deny the Spirit's ability to work. It's like a closed door to the Holy Spirit, and they need the Holy Spirit. God can energize those resources to do incredible things for the kingdom of God's advancement if they would just let the Spirit in. There's a story, a true story, of when St. Thomas Aquinas in the Middle Ages, he went to Rome to visit the Vatican and the Pope of that day, and the Pope took him on a tour, grand tour, uh, of the building that showed all the treasures and the beauty and the riches with which they had been lavished on the church of Rome. And then the Pope said to St. Thomas Aquinas in a very proud way, he said, no longer, Thomas, can we have to say or do we have to say silver and gold? I have none. And St. Thomas Aquinas responded with wisdom and boldly and fearlessly said, um, Your Excellency, uh, neither can we say rise and walk in the name of Jesus Christ. Wealth of this world can be useful tools in the hand of God and the church, but we need what the early church had, the Spirit of God, in order to accomplish all that God has called us to do. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. I got through one point. Isn't that exciting? <laughs> we need the Holy Spirit. We need the power of God. We need to ask God to put on some divine glasses so that we can see people and circumstances and things the way that God sees them. Sometimes we think we know all the answers and God is sitting up in heaven and says, you really don't know a whole lot. You need my spirit. Why the spirit? Because the spirit of God brings wisdom, clarity, truth, and a perspective from God's point of view. And that's what we need today. Would you say amen to that? Amen. Would you bow your heads in prayer as we close today? I'm going to ask you today to ask the Holy Spirit to fill your heart and your life. I'm going to ask you, listening to the worship songs today, they were songs of 
basically of a lot about repentance, of realizing that we've strayed from God, that we need to move in God's direction to recommit our lives to him so that he can fulfill his purposes in our life. Wouldn't it be a terrible thing to stand in heaven and realize that you had squandered and have procrastinated doing the will of God, what he called you to do until it was too late and you ran out of time? And you stand before the Lord at the beam of judgment, saved and going to heaven, but with empty hands. Empty hands. God help us not to face that embarrassing fate. And so I'm going to ask you also to pray about plugging in. Where is the Spirit of God telling you to plug in to the ministries in the local church at Calvary? How many of you sitting at home today, watching by live stream or recorded later, watching it later, are not involved in the mission of the church? You're only enjoying the services. What a terrible thing to be able to stand before God and not be listening to the Holy Spirit while you have the opportunity for him to impart to you the wisdom and the call of God on your life for lay ministry or even the call of God to the office of ministry. So, Father, today we pray. Lord, search our hearts by your Holy Spirit who is welcome here 24-7 to do your work And so, God, we pray for the Holy Spirit right now to speak to hearts and minds, both here in this building but watching online as well. Call us to your purposes. Give us courage and wisdom. Lord God, give us anointing, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, Lord God. Lord, how many of us have been negligent in reading and studying the Word of God? whose Sunday morning is when we take a meal and the rest of the week we starve. God, give us a hunger by the Holy Spirit for the word of God, an urgency and a passion to find out what thus saith the Lord is saying to us. God, we ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen.